0: Thank you, Michael. On Friday, January the 13th, the uh, Carnival cruise ship, the Costa Concordia, left the port near Rome. There is the, uh, the ship, beautiful ship, huge ship. And they were going out to sea when the captain, a man named Francisco, decided to get a little bit off course. And go near one of the Tuskegee Islands, and he ran aground. He hit rocks. And I'll share a little bit more of the story to you later. But things went terribly bad after that. Not because he was in a uh, drunken stupor or he set off a bomb on the ship, but because he just did not continue on the path that he should have been on. This morning in First Timothy 1, I want us to look at staying on the course with Jesus Christ. Certainly if you're on a, uh, uh, a carnival cruise, you hope the captain stays the course. Certainly if you're riding with somebody in a bass boat on Lake Darbone, you hope that they, uh, they stay on the right course. But if you're a Christian this morning, and if you're not one, our great prayer is that you'll give your life to Christ today. But if you are one, it's, there's a constant tension and a constant struggle to stay on the right course. And so I want us to look at God's Word today and see what He has to say uh, to us. And here's my first thought to you this morning. Any of us, any of us can get derailed. Again, if you're not a Christian... Pay attention. We're going to try to point you and bring you to Christ. If you are a Christian, this is such an important thing to get a hold of. Because it's easy for you and me to think, well, I'll never fall. I'll never move away from Christ. I'll never find myself doing something horrible in my marriage or at my workplace and getting fired or losing my family or being put in in prison. I'll never... Get away from Christ, my simple walk with Him. The truth is, is that any of us can get derailed. And in this passage are laid out some ways that you and I, as well as these people in Ephesus 2,000 years ago, were getting off base. And here's the first thing. We get off base by taking in the wrong stuff. I'm going to talk about sermons and Sunday school lessons and all that. But a lot of times we're taken in the wrong stuff by just the people we hang around with. The people we sit around in the hallways after church and talk to or or we talk to at the workplace. And we swap ideas and we swap criticisms. Maybe it's the books we read. You know, the great news and the bad news and the weird news today is you could go home today and you could listen... If if there'd be some form of punishment, obviously. But you could listen to 100 sermons today from all over the world, couldn't you? Through the internet and the TV, there you can listen to a hundred. You can go to a Christian bookstore tomorrow and check out five hundred different books. And the truth is, not everything you're gonna get is gonna be good stuff. One of the ways that the Ephesian people were struggling is what they were taking in. Ephesus, where Timothy was, was a place known to attract philosophers. People love to gather around and talk about the latest fads. In fact, people would try to become the teacher and the group leader, come follow me, and they would discuss and they would debate the the latest theologies and the latest things that were being passed around. And it was leading to some real problems in the church. It was causing some of these Christians to get away from God from the things they were hearing and then letting seep into their lives. What are some of these things that threaten you and me today? One is false doctrines. Now, doctrine is a fancy word that literally means teaching. But a doctrine is a central truth of the faith. It's a central principle of the faith. In verse 3, he says, Timothy, I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines. Let me give you an idea of what a doctrine is. A doctrine is the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ, the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, that there's a real hell and there's a real heaven, that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Guys, there's not new doctrines being created, okay? And when you hear some new teaching or some new, uh, new thing being laid out and it sounds too good to be true, you know why? Because it is too good to be true. And it sounds goofy and it sounds off-base. You know why? It may be goofy and it may be off-base. We don't need new doctrines. We need to understand and practice the ones that we have. Now, I'm not going to read it right now. But in verse 8 through 11, one of the things that was happening is they were taking the Old Testament, these false teachers, and twisting it around and coming up with all kinds of weird things. You don't you don't hear the Bible. You can hear some uncomfortable things, but when you're hearing weird and odd things, again, that don't seem to match up, as we'll see in a moment, with the truth of Scripture, they're weird and odd for a reason. Watch, watch the things that people teach that go against the fundamentals of what you know is right. Here's probably a more, a greater problem today, and, and that's, The the, the silly and the trivia things that are thrown out. The silly and the trivia. In verse 4, he says, "...nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies." These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. In verse 6, he says, Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talks. Myths were fables that the ancient people created to explain the world. How did we get the sun? Well, Hercules and Achilles got in a fight, and that's Hercules' eyeball, things like that. You know, if you're just going to sit around and just shoot the bull, that'd be okay. But I'm not sure you need to talk about Hercules' eyeball in a Bible study class. I'm not sure it's real beneficial. And it says to endless genealogies. How many of you have read in the Old Testament before and you get stuck where it starts saying begat, begat, begat? And you want to begot, begot, begot? Jewish people, their, their lineage was very important to them. And it's important to us to understand who Jesus Christ came through. I have a Jewish friend who is alive today, he can trace literally his family roots back to him being related to Aaron, the brother of Moses. Folks, Ancestor.com doesn't go back that far. I mean, that's pretty impressive, isn't it? But here's what God was saying here in in His Word. It really doesn't matter if your great-grandpa was a hero or a zero. That has no effect on who you are and what you're supposed to be doing today. What are some trivial ways we we do with the Bible? We try to figure out who the Antichrist is going to be. Is it Newt? Is it Mitt? It's got to be a Democrat if you're a Republican. It's got to be a Republican if you're a Democrat. You know, the Bible says there's going to be an Antichrist. But it's kind of foolish to sit around for four hours a day figuring out who it is. You know, the Bible says Jesus Christ is going to come back to earth again, doesn't it? Correct? That's a doctrine, man. That is absolutely an unchangeable. Someone says that's not true. They're denying basic Christian doctrine. But you remember we looked a few weeks ago at a scripture that says Jesus himself did not know when that was going to be. You remember that? How many of you agree if Jesus didn't know, you don't know? You agree? By the way, and you aren't going to figure it out. It's okay to preach it. It's okay to talk about it. It's okay to be ready for it. But it's silly to spend your whole life obsessing on it. God, just be careful that you don't let the trivia get in the way of your spiritual growth and development. Okay? Then he lays out three ways we can tell if what we're hearing is the truth. How can you, look at, how can you listen to a sermon on, on the radio? How can you read a book? How can you hear a sermon in a church? How, how can when you sit around, you're sitting around with some guys or some girls and you're talking about the Bible, how can you know what you're hearing lines up truly with God? He lays out three pretty good tests here. Number one, does it fit with God's objective truths? Is it based on the objective truths of God? In other words, is it based on the Bible? Subjective means there's opinion. Objective means it's factual. He says something neat in verse 7. He says, these, these people have wandered, wanted to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Here's what was happening in, in Timothy's day, in Ephesus' day. You had these people who apparently were older than Timothy. They were probably good speakers, Good teachers, charismatic personalities, and they were real confident in themselves. I mean, they got up—that woke some people up, didn't it? And they, and they said, "This is how it is, brother. And if you don't believe me, you're stupid and you're wrong." And they were confident. There's nothing wrong with being confident. They're charismatic. There's nothing wrong with being charismatic. But they were just off base. Folks' sincerity. And truth don't always go together. You want people to be sincere versus being a hypocrite, but you can be sincerely wrong. Who is more sincere and dogmatic than Adolf Hitler? You ever watched the Hitler speech? He was sincere, sincerely evil. I had, had someone tell me years ago, a lot of people are like concrete. They've been thoroughly mixed up and they're firmly set in place. Truth is not based on someone winning an argument with you or me. Truth is based on God's Word. Look at the last part of verse 11. That conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which He entrusted to me. Does what you're hearing, what that friend's sharing with you, what that book is saying, what that preacher's teaching, no matter how... Good, a speaker or writer or teacher they are, no matter how self assured they are, no matter how stupid they make you feel, does it line up with the Word of God? Here's the second thing does it move the kingdom of God forward? See, false teaching, wrong teaching that will lead us away from Christ promotes self. It promotes a lot of times the teacher or the preacher's interest. In verse four, he says these promote controversy rather than God's work, which is by faith. Is what you're hearing, what what your friends share with you, what your BCM or FCA leader tells you, does it make you want to serve God more? Does it make you want to get your hands dirty for the kingdom more? Does it make you more Christ-like? Years ago at a Christian university where I knew some of the faculty, there was some vandalism one night on campus. And when they found the vandals... It, it was some ministerial students, some preacher boys, and I think what happened is, is they had uh, they were playing around and they got carried away and they tore some stuff up. Well, to make things worse, they found out that before they vandalized the campus, they had been at a youth revival that night, and I remember the campus policeman saying that really was some kind of revival. Now, I don't believe, with all my heart, I don't believe in that revival that that preacher promoted vandalism of the college campus. You do wonder sometimes when people look at you and me, they wonder, boy, what are they teaching? (laughs) What are they hearing? Sometimes it's not the teaching or the preaching or the singing. It's our living or application of it. But a very real way to understand that, what is your beliefs and what are you taking in? How does it? Calls you to better the kingdom of God. Here's the third thing. Does it make you love God and love people more? You know, you read through the Bible, you stumble over this over and over and over again. Verse 5, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Guys, I I really, I, I hope you'll buy into what I'm going to tell you here, hook, line, and sinker. If the preaching, if the teaching, if the books you're reading, if the people you're talking to is making you meaner, more arrogant, more conceited, look down upon people, it's not of God. Christian teaching makes you nicer. Don't you want to be known as the mean church? First Baptist, that's where the hateful people go. No. They go, well, never mind. I really wasn't thinking of any place, I promise. I was trying to get your attention. Somewhere in Arkansas is where they go. You see, when you and I are taken in the Word of God like we're supposed to take in the Word of God, it does not make you more hateful. It makes you more like Christ. It makes you kinder. It doesn't puff you up. It makes you more loving. Oh, Pastor, that's not deep. You don't get any deeper than that. The whole thing is built on love. It's not complicated knowing what's false teaching and what's unfalse teaching. It, it, it's not complicated knowing if you're sitting around with a group of people that are going to lead you away from Christ. It's real easy if they're cursing and they're telling dirty stories. I mean, hey, you know that. It gets a little more complicated when they're throwing Jesus in the middle of it. You need some discernment. I read a story this week about a guy named Ed who is an employee for Starbucks. Now, not Starbucks here in Ruston, but Starbucks headquarters. And he's what's called a cupper. Does anybody here know what a cupper is? You're fixing to learn something. It's a taster in redneck lingo. He's a coffee taster. Now, I'm not making this up. He can take one sip of coffee and tell you from which South American country it came from. He can say, Guatemala. I can say, chocolate or vanilla. (laughs) (laughs) He can tell you what mountain that was grown on. He can tell you at what altitude that was grown on. How many of you agree that's coffee discernment? And how many of you ladies are glad you're not married to that guy? (laughs) Us redneck men, we just want it hot or cold, don't we? Just give it to us. Now, listen, if you're going to have discernment like that, you're going to have to have a special gift from God. You don't have to have... A special gift from God to understand what you're taking in is good or bad, whether it's in church, Bible study, or, or around the office place. Does it conform with God's truths, the Bible? Does it promote bettering God's word? Does it make you a loving, more loving and kind person? You see, one of the ways it's so subtle that you and I as Christians get off base with God is we start taking in the wrong stuff, we start hearing the wrong stuff, and then it leads to the next thing. We start doing the wrong stuff. We, we get away from Him with our living. We get derailed with our lives. We have a blank screen, but that should say living. Living. You see, you don't realize it most of the time because it's so subtle. But what you're taking in or not taking in eventually moves from your your, your ears to your feet. In verse 19 and 20, we see some guys that look really bad, but they probably were really good at one time. It says, some have rejected these and have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Man, that's tough, isn't it? What does it mean they have, they have rejected these things? Literally, guys, what it means is they've loosened their grip with Christ. It started by what they were probably taken in and what they believed, and it moved to their life. What were these guys guilty of? And let me, let me just stop and say, these were probably guys that were leaders in their church. They start teaching false things. It says they, they blaspheme. The word blaspheme means to slander or to attack someone's character. They begin to use their mouths to ruin people's lives. And Paul says... I've handed them over to Satan so he'll whip them in shape. That's my paraphrase. What did he mean by this? Because this is tough. What he basically meant was we, we removed them from the church. We said, don't come back to the church until you get your act together. And Paul said, we're even praying that God will do whatever he has to do to slap you back in shape. And I want to remind you. Hominius and Alexander. Were probably stalwart Christian people. At one time. You see any of us. Can loose our grip. With Christ. And fall. I, I, there's no doubt in a room this big, there's people here right now this morning who are loosening your grip on, on Christ. What you're taking in, what you're listening to, how you're following Christ is not where it once was. We sang a song, I think Michael did, we, we sang Come Thou Fountain a few weeks ago. Come Thou found of Every Blessing. Beautiful song. It's an old, old song. We sing it in the traditional service. Come Thou found. And then we sing it in the the contemporary, and it's a little different than that. Uh, But it's a beautiful song. It was written by a guy named Robert Robinson. Robert Robinson was a devout Christian. He was a preacher. He was obviously a great hymn writer. But in his middle ages of life, he began to loosen his grip with Christ he began to hang around and become friends with a Unitarian minister. I don't know if you know much about Unitarians, but one thing, Unitarians don't believe the same thing the Bible believes about Jesus Christ, that he's God. And, and through the course of several years, Robert Robson just got away from Christ completely. And he was a, when he was an old man one day, he got in a carriage with a lady he did not know. And they were going into town and she's humming a song. She's humming, come thou fount of every blessing. He begins to cry. I've never been alone in a carriage with a strange person. But I'm guessing if I'm humming and they're crying, I I have to ask why. If I'm humming and they're crying, I know why. (laughs) And she said, sir, if I've done something to offend you, what's wrong? He said, ma'am, I wrote that hymn many years ago. And oh, how I long and wish to be with Christ where I once was. Hang in there because any of us can fall. You say, oh, not me, not me. Yes, you, yes, you, yes, you. And I want to give you one last big V12 shot this morning and say this. Hang in there with Christ. Man, hang in there with Christ. God wrote this through Paul to Timothy, remember? That's why it's called Timothy. Timothy's a younger man, very gifted. He spent a lot of time with Paul, so he's been well-groomed and trained. But he's a guy that gets easily discouraged. He had physical, some physical health problems. He's pastoring in a, you, you've seen it, a tough place. Ephesus is a tough, immoral city. It's affluent. He's got problems in the church. He's got people teaching bad things, and it's spreading like gangrene throughout the, the congregation. And Timothy, I'm guessing is wanting to leave Ephesus and he's wanting to take a siesta from the ministry and maybe just loosen his grip a little bit on everything. And look what Paul says in verse 3. I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you can command certain men not to teach these false things. That word urge is a beautiful word. It's the picture of someone coming alongside you, putting their arm around your shoulder and whispering in your ear, hang in there. Don't quit. Stay the course. And he uses that phrase, stay there in Ephesus. That that phrase, stay there, literally meant to take up residence. It, It meant, Timothy, don't get a hotel room. Stay there. And I think in a broader reference, he was saying to Timothy, Timothy, you want to quit? Just like people out here want to quit. You say, I'm living for God, and things aren't going any better. I'm praying, and I don't see answers to my prayers. I witness to my friends, and I don't see them come to Christ. Maybe I need to loosen my grip. And God's saying to you this morning, hang in there. regrip the rope. In verse 18 and 19, look what he says. He says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies, in keeping with the great things that have been said about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight. Hold it there for a second, Kyle. You know, it's interesting that the Christian life in several places is described as a battle. Christian life is certainly the best life, it's the eternal life. But how many of you would agree with me? Sometimes it's just downright hard. A few. It's downright hard. You've got to fight the devil. You've got to fight other people. You've even got to fight occasionally people who profess to be Christians. You've got to fight yourself and your own temptations. And he's literally saying to Timothy, fight the good fight. Timothy, you're a soldier, not in a battle, but in a campaign. You don't win today and it's over. You've got to keep on fighting the good fight. Show us verse 19, Kyle. Hold on to the faith and a good conscience. In other words, hold on to the truth inwardly and outwardly. He's saying like an athlete strains to to cross the tape, as an athlete strains to jump and make the shot, as the athlete strains to make the throw, or the cheerleader strains to jump high. You put out the effort to hang in there And keep on keeping on. How many of you need to hear that this morning? I bet a bunch. Don't let silly and wrong teaching distract you. Don't let other people's wrong influence pull you down. Don't let people discourage you. Hold on to Christ. Don't loosen your grip on right teaching And on the Word of God, don't loosen your grip on your commitment to Jesus Christ. Folks, the Christian life is not a sprint. It is a marathon. You know the difference, don't you? If I said free lunch in there, it would be a sprint, right? That's an all-out effort. A marathon, you've got to pace yourself. And the Christian life's a marathon. You remember the ship we looked at earlier, the Costa Concordia? That's what it looked like after the fact. A beautiful, beautiful ship with so much to do on it, so much potential. And the captain just decided for some reason that he was going to have a little fun. Some people say he was going to let one of the staff wave at someone on this Tuskegee Island. And he was going to get close enough. So he veers off the course. He just gets off the course that he's supposed to be on. Hits the rocks. As of Thursday, 16 people are dead. Millions and millions and millions of dollars have, no doubt, have been flushed down the ocean, literally. And this guy is now a criminal because he got off the course. I want to give you two verses. Galatians 6, 7 is the first. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. What we sow, we reap. You stray, you pay. Interestingly enough, two verses forward in verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. Keep on keeping on. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest. Read that last part with me. If we do not give up. Let's pray. Lord, man, God, I just, first of all, pray for our Christians that whatever it is they need to do to keep their grip on you, they'll make a decision to do that this morning. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I want to invite you right where you're seated to pray with me. And just say, Jesus, I am a sinner. And I want to turn for my sins. I believe you're God's Son who died for me. And I invite you now to come into my heart. To be my Lord and Savior. Let me have your attention just for a second. I'm going to invite you to stand in a moment. And to respond to Christ. Maybe you just prayed and asked Christ in your heart. Would you come this morning and let one of these ministers talk to you about that decision? Maybe you didn't do that, but you would like to come this morning. Maybe you'd like to join our church. We would love for you to do that. And one way you could do that is by coming in the moment. Ministers will be down here to help you with that decision. Maybe you're a Christian and you're holding on tight right now. Amen for you. Keep your grip strong. But again, in this room, I know there's people who are loosening your grips. Maybe you're already in trouble. If you're not, you're going to get there if you're not correcting course. Get back hope to God. Stay with the truth. Whether it's where you're standing or at the altar, make that choice this morning. Let's stand. Just bow our heads. And you respond now as God leads you. Just as I am